we have to have the humility to be no good at this. And, um, and gradually, see, as, as our practice deepens, these afflictive thoughts, they actually help train us. These are the kind, generous, and inviting words of wisdom from Father Martin Laird during our July 9th Zoom conversation where we had about 25 people join us to discuss contemplative prayer in the context of Father Laird's second book, A Sunlit Absence. There's a three book series that he's written. The first one is Entering the Silent Land. The second one, which we're working through, is A Sunlit Absent. And the third is An Ocean of Light. St. Anthony the Great is known as the father of monasticism, even though he was not the first hermit to flee into the desert. He's the one that we know the most about because Athanasius of Alexandria wrote the definitive biography of Anthony's flight into the desert. So Anthony in the third century inspired whole generations of Abbas and Amas, the fathers and mothers of the desert, who in his pattern also fled to the wilderness in order to, as Jesus did in his 40 days, fight the demons. There is more to discuss of whether the monks fled to the desert to move away from the corruptions of the world, or if they instead fled to the desert to move toward God, which was the greater motivation, a move away from the world or a movement toward God. Within our first month of shelter in place here in the United States, during March of 2020, I was attempting to discern what to offer through the invitation that could help us ground ourselves in the midst of such pain and confusion. We have been, and we currently are, in a great state of bewilderment. And I invite you to listen to that word. We are bewildered. We are being in the wilderness. The biblical description of the wilderness, as well as the monastic practice of the wilderness, is primarily a space of spiritual warfare. Jesus went to the desert to combat the devil. And of course, 
as human instincts tend to go. Once the Abbas and the Amas were in the desert for a couple decades, they became somewhat famous throughout the church, and it was not uncommon for a pilgrim to arrive at the doorstep of one of these desert fathers. Some were seeking a father as an apprentice to learn the ways of prayer, silence, and solitude. But others were simply coming to the desert to get a word from the Father. Father, please give me a word. Help me pursue God. Help me open myself to God. What is the next step for me in my journey towards God? And in this way, the desert tradition is rich as a tradition of spiritual direction. So in our current context of bewilderment, it seems prudent and wise to seek the wisdom of an older man who has given ample portions of his life to prayer, silence, solitude, and awareness. I consider Father Laird to be a great resource of the desert wisdom translated into our present context. So it is with great honor and joy that I am able to share this with you. This episode is the first of two parts that comprise the hour and a half that we had with Father Laird. If you are somehow just now finding the Invitation Podcast or renewing your interest in the podcast, I would like to invite you to begin with our journey through A Sunlit Absence, which starts with episode 50. You can find this at invitationpodcast.org or on most websites where you would find any other podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. The Invitation is a ministry of spiritual direction that is invigorated by the movements of the Holy Spirit in a prison. So what that means is I have discerned a calling to serve the church through the prison. Of course, right now, with COVID-19, I do not have access to the prison. Sadly, this has been a further portion of my own personal bewilderment. But while I experience that loss, the gain is that I have more time to work on this book and to serve you through this, through the podcast. So here in this episode, I begin with a short guided meditation of silent practice. Father Laird then gives his own short introduction, a few thoughts about contemplative prayer in the context of quarantine, and then we're able to attend to a couple questions of Q&A. May be blessed in your time of listening. Amen. I'm going to begin with the practice of a guided moment of silence. So just offer a little, little guidance. The question is always, as Father Laird and I were already getting started here, is um, how do we actually learn 
how to do this. And we can read his amazing books, but I think he would be the first to say that there's only so much that he can offer you that it's only the spirit that teaches us how to really do this. So we need to put the book down. We need to step away from our uh, intellect, not that our minds are bad, but to trust the workings of the spirit. So we begin with that. We're going to do a moment of silence here. And then at some point in the middle of this discussion, I'm going to invite us into another practice of silence, just to keep refreshing our sense that we are truly in the presence of God, that we are, we are in God even when we don't understand it. Father, Father will probably be able to add some more. Uh, vocabulary to that so too so thank you so much for coming to be a part of this this is a real treat in a time where there's not a whole lot of good news and some of us are like myself struggling to figure out if I can take a, a camping trip with my father wondering if there's something to look forward to in the next uh, month or two this has been uh, something that I hope we all have been able to look forward to so I invite you at this moment, wherever you are, whatever's happening inside of you, to pause. As we've been doing, if you've been able to follow the podcast, our practice has been the Jesus prayer and simply using the sacred name of Christ. For those of us who are raised in the church, it is a wonderful gift to continue to realize that just uttering the sacred holy name of Jesus can be a tether, it can be a centering to call us back into this awareness that God is truly with us in ways that we don't understand. So I invite you to pay attention to your posture Allow yourself to rest, to come to a place of trust. Follow your breath with the sacred name of Christ, breathing in Jesus. and then breathing out Jesus.
In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Father Laird is a professor. It's, uh, it's early Christian studies at Villanova. And he is the author of three books, the second of which we are studying and practicing this summer. And to get our conversation started, uh, warmed up here, Father Laird is going to offer some introductory thoughts to get us thinking about this practice of contemplation. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Josh. Um, well, um, first of all, um, I'm happy to be with you and hope, hope everybody has kept uh, safe and well as far as uh, in, and your loved ones as well as we uh, uh, make our way into this uh, greatest uh, challenges the likes uh, none of us have seen. <laughs> um, I've been amazed by the uh, numbers of people who have used this time when society has slowed down, um, along with the economy, which has its problems, but... Um, people who find themselves working from home, people who have more time and operating in a lifestyle that has slowed down. And many have used this as a time to rediscover or deepen a practice of contemplation. And it, it's very interesting and heartening to see um, so, so I've, I've done a, uh, had a number of invitations to speak to contemplative prayer groups um, um, about this. I think I think just uh, some few thoughts, especially in a time when anxious thoughts might be heightened um, regarding what employment is going to be left for us. Um, um, health concerns, um, all sorts, anxieties, uh, afflictive thoughts come from all corners. One of the, uh, when we try to, what we call, silence the mind, um, which inner noise is one of the first things we meet when we attempt to sit still. And we meet a, a deluge of thoughts. And um, one of the first things people think that it's a question of getting rid of thoughts, um, not having thoughts. Um, well, lots of luck. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, that's just, you know, thoughts come, thoughts go. What doesn't? What the practice of contemplation gradually helps us see first is that we are not our thoughts. Uh, if you remember when you first began a practice of sitting in silence, a practice of contemplation, thoughts were just right here and we thought we were our thoughts but with uh, over time and 
practice on a daily basis, uh, like like food, uh, hygiene, um, uh, all sorts of things need to be done on it regularly. Uh, and so with the spiritual disciplines. And after a certain amount of time, and it varies from person to person, you will see that thoughts come and go, but you're not those thoughts in the way that they were in the beginning. Um, I've used the image of being uh, caught in a phone booth with a bee. Thoughts are just, you know, we're sitting in a, back when there were phone booths, um, we notice there's a bee in there, and, and suddenly we're reacting, reacting, reacting to a thought um, with a commentary on it, a thought or, or a feeling. Thought, feeling is the same sort of cognitive stuff, and we react to it with commentary. I shouldn't be having that thought. Um, that's just another thought upon a thought. Or I shouldn't be having that thought. I thought I got rid of those thoughts. Thought upon thought upon thought. In every case, the antidote is to take refuge in your practice. As soon as you are aware that your attention has been stolen, you bring it back. That is the practice. It's not keeping things out of your mind. It's keeping your attention out of the inner chatter. So the practice is return, return, without judgment. I shouldn't be having that thought. It's illegal, it's, it's crime, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, but to return. And you might even realize that you can actually release into your practice. When that begins to happen, um, our relationship with distractions changes. They no longer have to be gone. Um, say it's it's uh, this business of uh, afflictive thoughts is is like uh, arguing with her uh, 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 one of these reality TV show program news programs um, that get us all worked up and eventually we simply learn not to watch the TV program. Mm. You don't have to throw your television out the window. It's a question of what you let steal your attention. And the antidote, as soon as you're aware that your thought, your attention has been stolen, you bring it back without judgment. Um, and that's no matter how far your attention is gone. No, or for whatever length of time, or for how, you know, we're back to our practice for two seconds and then we're off again. Fine. You bring it back. Mm 
And that creates an inner momentum mm. that grows with practice. Mm. That suddenly becomes second nature. Mm. If any of you are uh, musicians, uh, pianists, and when you were first learning, you're trying to do learn something new like an arpeggio. Well, it was just impossible and awkward at the beginning. But with practice, what was awkward suddenly becomes quality. You mm. practice a certain quantity of them, and then they became quality and second nature. Huh? Or when you no longer needed training wheels on your bicycle. Mm. This uh, habit of returning to our practice to the extent that we live out of it and we meet life out of this deeper place, mm. which is easier said than done. Mm. Because everything about our culture is life crammed in a phone booth with bees in it. Mm. And with sufficient inner silence, we step out of the phone booth. And the bee that was in there, who didn't want to be in there in the first place, is first out, you know. And now the thoughts, the bees are going about pollination. We've changed, the relationship with the thought has changed. What was right in our face, there's now a certain distance, as it were. And that is a mark of the development of inner silence. Mm -hmm. When what was right here is now here. And you look, can let it be the way Mount Zion allows clouds to be without judgment because Mount Zion knows it's not the ever-changing weather of thoughts and we are Mount Zion the Lord's mountain and so at this period when anxieties might be heightened and afflictive thoughts uh, more afflictive um, the essentials of the practice remain the same Thank you, Father. So as you have led retreats and taught, uh, I love all the, the anecdotes you offer from students that you've taught over the years, and you've engaged lots of people in this journey. How much of your experience has been watching people feel the sense of, I'm going to make mistakes, I'm going to do this wrong? Um, yes, um, that among any other, that's mm. just another inner commentary. That's mm. just more inner chatter to say, look, I'm judging my practice. I can't do this. That's just a thought. I guess I'm thinking in terms of, is there a, is there a thing in America, in the Western world, that tends to be the more common response to the struggle for the, the main topic of the, you talk about the, the chatter of the cocktail party in, in the mind. So what is the main topic of conversation? Or is it just to, to depend on the person? It depends on, we all have different minds. So, you know, 
they they come according to how we are. Thank you. Thank you. I, I think that judgment is very helpful for me because I've felt in my years of working through this some surprise where I will be sitting in prayer and then suddenly I'm across the room doing something. <laughs> like, Wait a minute. You physically get up. Yeah. How did I? And then I feel so ashamed that somehow my body took over my mind. Something subconscious led me over to the other side of the room Yeah. that, that I then give up. Well, then this is something, you know, then the demons have won. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the development of the Christian contemplative tradition comes out of the fourth century with the early desert fathers. Um, and in, in fourth century psychology, it was cashed out in the language of the demons and their artillery were thoughts and because because they cannot inhabit the depths of the human being that is the domain of Christ uh, their only role in life is to keep us completely ignorant of that for as many decades of life as possible and they do that by keeping our by creating um, by stealing our attention and and so we are riveted to the mind stream going on in our head the world of inner commentary I should be this way someone else should be this way I know how you should vote here listen to me um, in this we relax from imposing our ego on the world and on ourselves with what you spoke about it can happen frequently enough if we're if we're practicing on our own by ourselves we get distracted and yeah we're up and about and we don't even <laughs> remember making that choice it just happened and we become aware but that's no different from becoming aware of any other type of distraction and so you return and the shame is just another afflictive thought you're judging yourself yes. mm -hmm. and that too yeah. we have to have the humility to be no good at this mm -hmm. and um, and gradually see as as our practice deepens, these afflictive thoughts, they actually help train us. There's a, you know, out in, uh, I think, New Mexico, there's this large arboretum I was visiting years ago, huge thing, and there are trees in it. Uh, and I, I noticed that the trees were chained to the top of the arboretum, the structure. And I asked one of the guides, I said, well, why is that? Why are they chained up there? And, and she said, these trees were raised indoors. They've never been exposed to wind. And so they do not have the strength to stand up on their own 
And this is, uh, once our established practice is, has deepened enough, this is what the, the appearance of afflictive thoughts does. It's like the wind buffeting a tree. It starts, you know, you, you, you have a, a tree and uh, soon enough you have a sapling and the, the breezes blowing against the sapling. They actually strengthen the stap sapling. And then as it grows into a young tree, the buffeting of the winds help strengthen, help deepen the, 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 the root system. Um, and so as a tree grows, it can withstand buffeting of distractions. So it's That's a, a, a metaphor we might use when we think about the hard knocks of life, the exterior things, the circumstances. But, but now we're thinking about this in the sense of the internal, all of the disruptions, all the inner chatter, all the noise, all the judgment, all the voices. They're the, the, the wind themselves. Yes. And, and back to the language of the demons, Evagria says, we send them off chafing mm -hmm. because they've been dis uh, they have not um, they don't have the control over our minds they once did uh, so um, let's take a few questions I've got uh, this is Christy who emailed me in advance her question. So Christy, do you mind? Sure. Yeah, I'm Christy and I currently reside in Columbus, Ohio area. Um, I have two, but I'll just ask one um, on identity and soul. Um, and then if we have enough time, we can go back to the soul. Um, in her sixth mansion, St. Teresa of Avila speaks of our identity as union with Christ. So I'm wondering if you could speak more to our identity within contemplation how do we learn more about our unique identity within our union? Since as St. Teresa says, it is all about love melting in love. Yes, I'm happy you have discovered Teresa. She's a rich resource. Um, before I respond, I remind you that, that when she says in the first mansion, she says, there is actually nothing wrong with the first mansion. Everything is already there but we're so distracted by all of the creepy crawlies and the things that we don't realize. Yeah? But um, what uh, this is what being in silence and with her own sisters, they, the Carmelite community nuns, they would have uh, two hours a day to for silent prayer. Um, and gradually, over time, our seat, the seat of identity is... Uh, we have a sense to see it in its proper place, hidden with God in Christ, Colossians 3.3 3 says. Um, and that is always the case. The problem is that we don't realize it, we, many people live 
entire lives completely ignorant of it and they live, construct lifestyles out of this ignorance. But the practice of contemplation in its own therapeutic time reveals what is the seat of identity that is one with Christ. She has this marvelous uh, example of, of this unity when she says um, the human she likens to pond water and rain as heavenly water when you the pond that's obviously spring fed but it is she says it is impossible to separate out the pond water from the rainwater. You can't do it. You can make an intellectual distinction between creator, creature, nature, grace, those things, but, but in the silence itself, which is deeper than thoughts, you can't see a difference. Uh, she also says it's like opening up, you know, opening up a window on the east side of a room, opening up uh, uh, curtains on the west side of the room, and so light is coming into one room from different, say, the, the God side, the human side. In the, in the room, in the mansion, the, you can't separate out the light. Um, and Yes, uh, she's a master of, of this, and, and she says, and this is normal to discover this unity with God. The problem is, it's, it's all cluttered over. You know, she talks about this veil over a light. Um, um, and the, the practice of contemplation is a gradual, gradual decluttering of the mind where ultimately can be revealed this primordial ground of luminous vastness that is our identity as the psalmist is hidden in the face of god or as colossians is hidden with the mystery of god in christ it's it's a different self than say what the enneagram is interested in or, or the Myers-Briggs, or, or, or that I'm a, a blonde brunette, I'm, f uh, from, I'm from Irish background. Uh, those other is's aren't the is of I am. <laughs> <laughs> and our I am is caught up in God's I am through in the Christian tradition through the mediation of Christ. When Jesus says, you know, um, before Abraham was, I am. Through creation and baptism, our I am is inseparable from that. We can only be ignorant of it, build cultures, that cultivate ignorance out of it, 
Uh, I hear what you're saying, Father, is um, when we're going to look at identity, maybe when we look through personality assessments, we're thinking on too small of a level. Yes, they they have their purpose. Um, some of the more popular ones, the Enneagram or the... Um, what, the other one comes from Union Solicitor. Why it's just slipped my Myers mind. Briggs. Myers Briggs. Mm-hmm. They're they're useful, or people use them to understand well why other people drive, why other people are so messed up. Uh, but they're actually tools to see um, how I might balance in another direction. But they do not go as deeply as the human goes. Those are charts, so to speak, but the depths, the human depths are unchartable. Hmm? Yeah, yeah and, and that, that leads to her second question, and I, I think uh, there's a question about the soul. So you want to ask that, Christy? Sure, thank you for that response. Um, okay, so you mentioned the soul throughout the book, and um, I was wondering if you can help shape a picture of the soul. It seems that no one can really define define it in a concrete way, but it um, it seems like it would be helpful to have some sort of understanding as we connect our soul to God as enfleshed beings on this side of eternity. Yes, well, the soul is always caught up in God. Uh, in Roman Catholic Orthodox traditions, the, 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 the fall did not separate that as it has for other Christian uh, traditions. Um, um, the, and in the Carmelite tradition, it, it's simply a way of talking about the innermost depths of the human being. In Hebrew tradition, this was called the heart. Hmm? Uh, the heart was not, see, the Hallmark card heart, or, you know, the center of our, of our feelings. You know, you've broken my heart, you've warmed my, you've done my heart good, you know, as the emotional center. It's, in Hebrew tradition, it's much deeper. Uh, is the innermost depth of the human being. And in the Carmelite tradition, uh, they're using soul in that way too. Uh, but um, you don't, it's, it's inseparable from the rest of us. So it's not like a part of our body or a part of our spiritual body. It's the, the whole of it that is itself contained in God. Uh, The soul uh, uh, is in God. Um, You know, like a a small circle inside of a big circle. and until we get a glimpse of that, we think that God is something to be sought. Uh, but 
interior silence re re reveals that we've been found from all eternity, held in being. And this is why the, in the interior castle, Teresa is able to say, you already have everything in the first mansion. Yeah. It's not as, as if we're going, this is maybe the, uh, the, the misconception about the images of ascent or ladders, whether it's Climacus or John's ascent, um, as if there's this sense of progress. Well, yes. Well, there, there, one can speak of progress, but it's, it's, it, it, that too should be let go because at a certain point, uh, simply because it keeps us the center mm. of our own contemplative project. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm. Uh, language of ascent or a ladder, that, that's, that's, mm. that has its role in, in the tradition. The main thing about ascent is it requires you to let go of baggage. You can't ascend, I mean, there's nothing wrong with a piano, but if you try to ascend a mountain carrying a piano, well, lots of luck. You let that go. And the more you ascend, the heavier baggage, the more you become aware of the baggage you're carrying and how heavy it's becoming. And so you let that go. Mm -hmm. um, a ladder, well, you know, it's, it's, it's used in the Old Testament as a connection, Jacob's ladder. Mm -hmm. uh, but a ladder, ladder is your friend. Have you ever tried to clean out your gutters without one? I mean, or, um, and you're also vulnerable. Mm -hmm. There's a famous icon of monks uh, climbing up a ladder, Jacob's ladder, stairway to heaven. Yes. Yeah. And the higher they get up, the closer the demons are trying to trip them up, tie their shoelaces to the whatever, you know, because the further you go is the bigger the drop. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so the, these images have their place mm -hmm. um, um, as to what aspects of contemplative realization might involve, mm -hmm. uh, but, but we don't want to get hung up on them, sure, or sure. certainly not thinking about them while we're praying. My, my question would be, if uh, John Climacus might come up with a a different metaphor in the uh, ego-driven, because we use the ladder to talk about upward mobility. You know, it's, it's, it's what, what metaphors... Climbing the ladder of success. Yeah, uh, what metaphors would a mystic use today? And so I, I'm, I'm trying to do that in my own writing and teaching. And um, I want to get on to some other, other questions, but I do want to just put this little note here. Um, I know there's a, a lot of people on this call that are using Enneagram and, and are, are thankful for it. And I, I've used this as an opportunity before to say, I think the weakness of the Enneagram is that it doesn't map the soul. And so we have this vocabulary for the mind, for the body, for the heart, but there is not a, a defined sense of what to do with the deeper self. And so there's a lot that we could tease out 
in that. And I just want to put that a pin for folks because I use the Enneagram as a spiritual director. I find lots of help. Most of what I use it for is to understand what we began talking about in terms of what is the nature of that, that conversation that is um, the voices that are keeping people or encouraging people to pray. So um, it can be really helpful. It's a useful tool for self-knowledge, for mm-hmm. certain level of self-knowledge, mm-hmm. which is essential in the spiritual life. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, self-knowledge leads to knowledge of God. Mm-hmm. And that you. is unchartable. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Not knowledge as information, but knowledge as encounter. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I want to note we have people from other parts of the world here. I've been talking about North America, so I wanted to turn to our friend John, who's in Scotland. Oh. John, if you are present, can you ask one of your questions? Yes. Hi. Thank you. Nice to be with you all. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Father Martin, as well. You're in Scotland. Sorry, say again. Where are you in Scotland? I'm in the Highlands near Inverness in the northeast. Oh, right. And you have your lovely conservatory to get as much light in your life as possible. Absolutely. Well, yeah, and it's not getting dark till midnight, right, in this time of year, so it's great. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Wow. Well, I spend a lot of time in the UK and Scotland whenever I get a chance. But please, You're welcome. And Josh, Josh told us about a conversation you and he had where I think he mentioned something along the lines of how do we attract people to contemplation? And you said it's not for us to <laughs> try to attract or sell a contemplative path to people. Um, I, I guess I was interested in that um, conversation you had because having come, in, having come to sort of contemplation in midlife, uh, I I sort of share the the instinct that there's some there's a real treasure here and the instinct to share it with everybody I know, um, and I suppose you know it, it, it even in meetings like this or any kind of other contemplative meeting you tend to find a particular type of socio demographic profile that's pursuing contemplative practices in the way we're talking about them, and I just wonder do. Do you think and do we need eyes to see that there are people who are arriving at a similar destination by completely other pathways, whether it's a life of sacrificial service and love or a life of suffering or through creative arts? Do we need to, in, in spiritual direction or in friendship or, or just in seeing, seeing others, can, can people, do you feel that people are arriving at this sort of inner space of union with God and self-awareness and escaping the, the afflictive thoughts by other paths than this practice? Uh, well, yes. Um, yes. Um, we're not talking about any old way, such as, say, serial murder, you know. <laughs> but but um, we're all one. And an ancient, very important writer in the early 6th century, he, he, he likens the unity and difference of humanity and pathways into God. He says, imagine a, a wheel, a chariot wheel he has in mind. Um, but think of a bicycle wheel. Um, on the 
circumference of a wheel, the spokes are furthest apart. So at the, at the surface of things, along the, the rim of the wheel, the cir circumference, uh, we have the sense of being most separate from one another, as the spokes are physically most separate. But as each person discovers a way in towards the center, all the spokes have the same center. And there, they're all one. And um, I know people who are, I know very good friends with a, quite an accomplished um, uh, uh, painter, watercolors. Um, and he's discovered tremendous stillness of his mind. Um, runners, uh, marathon runners, will speak of what's called the zone. And, and that's batted about in all sorts of contexts, being in the zone, and you know, but uh, that means something when they describe it, and it happens at the end of a, a, a when they're well into a marathon, um, suddenly the pain, physical pain they're feeling doesn't matter, and thoughts just don't hurt. They're free. They, there, that is a contemplative, that is a state of realization of a manifestation of inner silence. Mm -hmm. So, so there, yes, there, there, I mean, there are different ways uh, uh, in, in, into this, uh, but there are ways that have been developed over centuries and centuries uh, specifically addressed to this. But people who hike, uh, who love being out in, in nature, Mm -hmm. um, and have these realizations as well. Overcoming, and the realization I mean, is overcoming the illusion of being separate from God. Mm -hmm. The separation, the sense of separation is a, an illusion. It isn't true. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure, so I don't know if I answered your question or just you're politely restraining yourself from saying got it all wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think I find that reassuring. Um, I suppose it still leaves a question about how far one encourages people to take hold of those centuries-old traditions because they're proven on how far one well uh, I, I find well people sort of this is very you know in the what I call the tangles of loving providence uh, somehow people there is an innate there is a homing instinct for God mm -hmm. And, and a lot of times it, it's just cluttered over. Um, 
or you know even migratory birds who have this homing instinct you know it gets all messed up by cell towers and they go slamming into buildings mm -hmm. um, because of something else has messed it up but um, there is this natural well as as uh, Saint Augustine put it you have made us for yourself O Lord and our heart not our hearts, he means the collective human heart, <laughs> where we are all one. And our heart is restless until it rests in you. Might find rest, try to find rest in a fulfilling career. There's nothing wrong with a fulfilling career. Might find rest in the bottle in the bottom of a bottle of talisker mm. um, always but but this instinct is always trying to find home and they might stay you know I'm giving a, a, I can't, can't see uh, the names but but John I'm, I'm giving a longer talk uh, this Saturday at St. Martin in the Fields in London, via Zoom. <laughs> um, um, you know, I might speak to this and, and, other, and other things, but uh, yes. This well, my, my first follow-up question is, if you're, if you're talking about Talisker in, in Scotland, um, some folks might not know what that is, um, which is good. Fine um, whiskey, if you like meaty, smoky whiskey. Uh, I said that for the benefit of John, who's... Yeah, right. <laughs> I appreciate you. that, thanks. Um, Actually, well, English, it sounds like, but you're living in Inverness. Huh? That's right. Yeah. So let's pause. I want to follow up on that. I said at the beginning that we would continue to renew our sense that this is a conversation with the Spirit. So let's just take 30 seconds to check back in with God, opening ourselves, allowing ourselves permission to be here. Thank you for listening to this conversation. This is part one of our conversation with Father Laird. Part two will be available soon. If you're not already a subscriber to the Invitation Podcast, you can find a subscription link at invitationpodcast.org. Your financial contributions are always greatly appreciated with discernment and care to support what we're doing. A link for donations is also available at the website. 
So stay tuned for part two. And also be sure to continue practicing and praying through Father Laird's sunlit absence. Until next time, Amen. Amen.